Well, if you're joining us in one of our campuses or joining us online, we want to welcome you and thank you for being with us with Willow Park Church and all that God's doing and the way he's working. We've been working our way through the Ten Commandments, haven't we? And we are now on commandment number six. Thank you for those of you that prayed for me when I went back to the UK. Uh, you can tell I, uh, I still got my Canadian accent, so it's okay. And I'm okay. And it's wonderful. We had a good trip, a good time of ministry, and the Lord was with us, and it was uh, fantastic. I had two guys traveling with me, uh, Stacy and Shane, and they came over with me, and I wrote to the church earlier this week and said I had two Canadian bodyguards. It was amazing. I felt like a really famous preacher, just lacked the machine guns now. Um, so it was wonderful. We're going to talk about the whole issue of, of thou shalt not murder. Now, I know you've come to church and you probably think, oh, Phil, what are you going to preach that's encouraging and wonderful? And then I preach, thou shalt not murder. Oh, that's not the most encouraging message. You know, particularly as we are on uh, this uh, no weekend of remembrance, and particularly as we look towards November the 11th and so on, we wonder, how does this commandment really play? I mean, we know last week you had, I hear you had three preachers. I know that because I organized it. And they preached long and hard. I heard that as well. And that was wonderful about honoring your parents. But... I've entitled this, You Shall Not Murder, A Priceless Dignity. See, this is what we're really talking about. We're talking about a dignity, something that is priceless, something that is incredible. And although we are looking at the subject of murder, very quickly we're going to move straight the way in to the subject of anger, which then may make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Because Jesus linked this commandment of murder to the issue of anger in our lives. And I want to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you because there may be ways in which you realise that you know, that there is anger deep within you and the Lord wants to deal with that anger in your life. So think about that. Although we are looking at the subject of murder, you know, for most of us, murder is not something we, we know about a lot or have experienced. Although sadly this week in Kelowna, there was an incident on a bus <coughs> of murder. And we don't know the details, but we understand what took place. But for most of us, murders are simply a place where we switch on the TV and we watch CSI and we find out about CSI Miami, CSI New York and soon to be released CSI Enderby and all these different places. Uh, you may watch English dramas. Have you noticed how English dramas are set in small villages where every week somebody gets murdered? I'm surprised anybody lives there. Oxford has more murders over the last 15 years with Inspector Morse and Lewis than any academic city in the world. And there are always Oxford dons and professors that are being murdered, true? They're always the ones that are murdered. That's the kind of how we are. However, anger is a subject that we are more familiar with in our life as the way it affects us. The taboo in society, say in the Victorian age, Victorians loved to speak about death, but never sex. It was a taboo. Now we talk about sex, but we find it very difficult to talk about death. 
However, killing has become so familiar in our lives, on our TVs, cinema screens. We see thousands of death throughout our viewing, thousands of murders. Violence is pumped into our culture in in megatons, megabytes. Many of these films and computer characters, all these characters and all these individuals, they truly do need anger management classes, don't they? You go and you see, you know, all the great... I remember the first angry, real angry, tough movie I ever watched. It was groundbreaking. It was shot in BC, so you probably even know what it was. Rambo. Rambo with Sylvester Stallone. My word, there he was. And of course, Rambo First Blood. He was a young GI wandering through town to town, gets to a small town that happened to be Hope in British Columbia, but it's not, let's not go there. Uh, it's based in America and he wanders in there and the local police chief pushes him around and they arrest him and they want him to move on. But what they don't realise is that Rambo has anger problems. Problems. And by the end of the film, Rambo has blown up the town. Some people who lived in hope prayed for that. And, and completely wrecked everything, ran through the woods. And the big line was, you drew first blood. That's, a, that's an impersonation of him, okay? In a, in a Canadian-American accent. About first blood, you started it. And then he goes on to do all these things and do this. And it was, we, we watched this as teenagers. It was amazing. He had this incredible army knife that had a handle that you could screw the top off. Do you remember this? Obviously, none of you saw the, yes, you did. Well done. Pray for you later. And you screw the top off and then you could put things inside, couldn't you? It had everything in there. And I had one of these knives actually after the film. You could put your, your sleeping bag in there. You could put your camp in. You could get your family and the kids in there. It was fantastic. Your girlfriend. And there you were and, and you walked around with this knife and it was the Rambo hunting knife. And I remember his problems, his anger, his frustration. And it was based on this because let me tell you something about human beings. Human beings copy. What do I mean by that? Sociologists tell us that when we look at life and we look at situations, what we do is that we often mimic behavior or copy behavior of others that is towards us. So somebody's angry towards you, often our response is what? Anger. Somebody fails to call you, we decide, well, I won't call them. We decide to do things and there's something about us that we can copy and we, in, we show off and we, we, we reflect what is towards us. And now I know some of you may have even done this in your life, driving through Kelowna, beautiful British Columbia, and somebody pulls in front of you. What do you do? You bless them in the name of the Lord. And I know that. <laughs> but I've watched people. People pull in front and suddenly they, they signal to them with a, a certain hand signal. And what does the other person do? They become a human photocopier and they do the same back, correct? Now this is 
true even in the way that we're brought up, the way that we view our parents, the way that we were treated as children, the way that we intimidate and the way we feel this in our lives. We copy what is there. You see, we've got to be careful (coughs) that the one thing that doesn't hold us back in our own life (coughs) is that we copy anger. We copy anger. They do this, we do that back. We copy what they do. He hasn't called me, I will not call. They were rude to me, next time I will be rude back to them. Next time, tit-for-tat approach. And this tit-for-tat approach affects our spirit and affects who we are and actually creates a root of anger within our lives. And we've got to be so careful that the only person we copy is the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Four little words. You shall not murder. How do you understand this commandment? Well, first of all, we've got to understand it is that God values life. God values life. Genesis 2 and verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. See, why this is so important is that the breath of God is a gift of God that was breathed into mankind And the act of murder is simply taking far beyond our authority as a human species. God created humanity. We do not have the right because we are God-breathed, God-created to take somebody's life away. We do not have that authority. Genesis 9-6 is the first warning about murder. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. In other words, as human beings, we are like little created images of God. We should have a deep respect for all humanity, a deep respect for all human life, because all human life is made in the image of God. He created us. And if we take life away, it says here, there will be consequences to individuals, to towns, to nations. We see the consequences of the the, the power of murder in the world, even today on our news. We understand that. And our response is this, we should have a deep respect for human life. He created it. So we understand three things from this command. First of all, God alone has the authority to give and take away life. Secondly, because we are made in his image, to destroy his image, which is patterned after God, is the most terrible thing. And God created us to live together in in community. And murder is a brutal breach of that desire and that action with people that bear the image of God. And we have to be aware, as I start to look at this subject, that we have to be aware of anything that glamorizes or glorifies war in the world. 
We have to be aware and be careful of any language of revenge, retaliation. Anything that creates a subhuman is wrong because there is no such thing as a subhuman. We are made in the image of God. Whether they are a different race, a different color, they come from a different place or even a different religion. We do not take humanity and make them subhuman because that's how genocide happens. And we have to be aware of military operations as Christians. Words like collateral damage are used these days. Punitive airstrikes. Broadening the campaign. Boots on the ground. Mission creep. See, very simply, although we may refer to the Crusades, but very simply... There are no Christian wars. We are to pursue love, peace and righteousness. But what does this mean? Therefore, do I believe that we should stand to side while genocide is being committed? That we cannot ignore people in rags. We should clothe people. We should intervene. We should Save, we should search for peaceful paths, we should be willing to be present, we should be willing to act in defense of the poor and the needy in the world. Yes, of course, we have to be active, but our heart has to be driven by a pursuit of love and peace, not revenge and hatred. Because we can see the danger. Our culture faces many challenges, not just with the issue of war. We have started killing at the beginning of life and now we're talking about killing at the end of life. Abortion. Well, first of all, I want to say that I feel unqualified really to speak on this. Secondly, I want to be sensitive as I can. I'm well aware that there may be women listening who have had abortions, men whose lives have been wounded by abortions. The wounds are created because maybe they felt pressured into them, this situation, many reasons. There's a lovely book that you may want to read called Her Choice to Heal by Sadie Mass and talks about going through the process of discovering healing, discovering God's forgiveness, discovering new life in a world that is in danger of convenience and retrospective contraception. That, that in this, there's this voice that speaks that in this darkness, there is, there is a way of healing and a way of God's life and a way that God can come and restore the broken. And we mustn't be ever allow ourselves to become kind of people without heart in this area. But we have to be true and understand what God teaches in this. And understand that this breaks God's heart to see how the Western society disposes of the unborn. We need to be active as church. We need to respond as church. We need to offer care, practical and financial aid, a welcoming attitude to those who have chosen and have felt the pain of choices in life. Our response 
It's to show God's love and to speak God's truth in this world. And that we as a church and some evangelical churches have almost abdicated the responsibility of the abortion debate to the Catholic church. Rather than us standing up and saying, you know, when God breathes life at the point there in the womb, he knits babies together and we have to protect. We have to heal a broken generation and we have to protect a generation forward. Frederick and Matthew Green, a pro-life feminist, wrote these incredible words. He, she said, women, women don't want an abortion like she wants an ice cream or a Porsche, but actually like an animal caught in a trap gnawing off its own leg. Powerful words by a feminist thinker, but it captures that this has often felt like a trap. It's often felt like something so harsh, and yet the church has to respond practically with intervention. And we're blessed with a pregnancy care center here in Kelowna, and we're blessed with the opportunity to intervene and to be practical and give finance and help people. Euthanasia is also important that suddenly in our society, we've started to drift that way. Now, let me just, as we talk about euthanasia, there are, of course, two areas that are different here. You know, first of all, allowing a patient to die in peace without being subject to painful treatment that cannot restore them to full health. That happens. That's not euthanasia. I watched my own aunt who chose not to have treatment because it was going to be painful. And she chose to simply have painkillers. And she knew that her choice, that she would die a lot quicker, but she chose to do that and she died. The use of painkillers to control pain, even at the risk of shortening life. My own father-in-law, I sat with him with lung cancer with Michelle. And the painkillers were, of course, adding to the speed of his death. But when he passed into the presence of God, the glory of God came. And a dear chaplain came and stood next to us, read the Psalms over him. He was holding the hands of family members. And there was a sense of God's presence as he was ushered into glory. But you know what's happening in Europe? Even when I was back in England, I heard a news report in Belgium where they have legalized euthanasia and they were talking about a culture of preparation that now rather than people just being in pain and giving the right to die, now people are choosing to die. And one doctor was talking about that, that elderly people are choosing to die even before they're sick and ill so they're not going to be a future burden to families to come and cost society and their families money and perfectly healthy elderly people are taking in their own lives. It's wrong. And yet there's that edge 
And yet the Lord says what? The Lord says that life is valued. The Lord says that life is God-breathed. The Lord said that life is a gift from him alone. And what we mustn't do is take away God's authority and put our own authority because actually God's authority is the one that truly counts. There are those who disagree with this, of course. (laughs) Peter Singer, controversial Princeton professor, bluntly expressed the fact that once we get rid of this mumbo-jumbo religious language surrounding the term human has been stripped away, we will not regard the sacrosanct of life of every member of our species, species, no matter how limited in capacity for intelligence or for even conscious life may be. In other words, listen, you have to get to a certain biological and mental level before you are allowed to live. I can only say that that attitude comes from one place and it comes from the very pit of hell. Because life is special. Life is a gift. Life is to be valued. Life is to be enjoyed life is to be traveled through and even as we get uh, old I sat with my 89 year old grandfather and he is wonderful he's 89 he has to be cared for and you've been on the journey with me that but I wouldn't want to take a day away from his breath and his life because of the glory of God can even work in the last moments it's all down to God true So what do we learn from this? Well, we learn very simply the value of all. The value of all. That truth is that we are all have value. We are all to see each other as beings made in the image of God. When you look at another human being, remind yourself that person is reflected in some way of God. Because he made us in his image and we are priceless with dignity because we are made in the image of God. And of course, I know that sinners read that and we need salvation But when we look at this, we must treat human beings with that love. People around you, people you are with, people you care for. The the most horrific outworking of the fall, the event that shaped the beginning of humanity is what story? Well, Adam and Eve sinned and fell and fell short in the garden. But there's this story and it's a story about two brothers, Cain and Abel. And that is the very first moment. You see, Cain and Abel, Abel gave his offering, the offering of blood. Cain gave his offering, the offering of, of, of wheat and, and, and product from the ground. And that was not good enough. And God said, what are you doing? This is not right. And for those of you who want to know the theology of it, right here at the very beginning, the offering of blood would be critical for the forgiveness and acceptance of us as human beings before a living God. And we can look into that at more detail, but Cain and Abel, and, and, and Cain was offended. He was hurt. He was hurt by this moment. And Genesis 4, 5 and 7 says, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face 
was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. We get an idea here of what's going on in Cain's heart. Cain was offended. Cain was hurt. But rather than hearing the voice of God where God came to him and says, what's wrong with you? Cain looked away from God's way and looked into his inward anger and allowed his anger to fester and to burn. I don't know what really goes on in this text, but we know that there's a God that wants Cain to do it right. And there's Cain that has a choice to do it right. But Cain gives into anger. He gives into his frustration. He gives into this. And we've got to be so careful when Jesus links anger, murder together in Matthew 5, 21 and verse 22, how we handle the anger within our hearts. Because when we feel anger towards those around us, when we feel anger towards our relatives, when we feel anger towards people who we may work with, that anger has a danger of eating away at us and creating problems within the people that we are. Let me tell you something. Do what is right Deal with your anger. You see, there are many kinds of angry people. They, they talk about four types of angry people. There are the, the manic angry people. Have you met these people? They're like pressure cookers. They're just waiting to explode. Maybe you had a relative like that. Maybe you had a father like that. Maybe you had a situation when they're just like, you just know that under the surface, they're bubbling. Pressure cookers are good for some things, right? They're good for cooking vegetables. I remember my grandmother's pressure cooker. She would make the best steamed vegetables in the world. But for your soul, being a pressure cooker will wreck you from the inside out. There's the mute person. The mute doesn't blow up. They clam up. They are people who cannot and will not express their anger, but inside it clams up and they start talking to the world. They start talking to their wives, their husbands. They start talking and they talk about nothing and they've pressed the mute button. But the real reason there's the mute there is because of the anger at their heart. There's the martyr, never gets angry because everything is always their fault. And they throw these massive pity parties all the time. I feel so, I'm so terrible. I let everybody down, I'm not good enough. Oh, I need to do this. And then there are the manipulators. The manipulators are those who express their anger by getting even with everybody. And they'll wait for that moment. You see, Proverbs shows us three causes for anger. Injustice, humiliation, and frustration. You feel like you've been doubt and injustice. Then that can burn in you as anger. 
You feel that somebody's humiliated you and that humiliation is something that is branded your heart and that anger starts to simmer and work away. Or you're frustrated because you think it should have gone like this. You should have got that that promotion, you should have got that opportunity and it should have been completely different. Can I encourage you that Cain's reasons for the way that he acted was because yes, he felt humiliated. Yes, he felt frustrated, but he failed to take it to God. And there was the God standing saying, do it right and we can sort this out. And your anger can always be sorted out by the power and the presence of the work of Christ. Cross at the center of your lives, you can be free from anger. Think about that. How? Well, having self respect and humility. Cain burned because his younger brother was preferred, but it was not the offering that was wrong. He He seemed to look at himself in a lower way. Listen, God loves you. God loves you just the way you are. You see, don't compare yourself to anybody else. When you start comparing yourself to people, then you can start to sow the seeds of anger because you don't feel good enough. Listen, none of us are good enough, but we are made good enough because of the immense love of Christ on the cross and God's love for you. And scripture teaches us that we should do one thing, we should deal with our anger. Therefore, if you are offering your gifts at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar first. Go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Matthew 5.23 What should I do with my anger? Believe me, I've had a lot of anger in my life. From a young boy, I was full of anger. Anger towards stepfathers, anger towards these people. And I've learned a number of things about anger. First of all, how do you deal with it? Well, can I encourage you, number one, prayer. Take time to bring it regularly to God. Don't ignore it. Don't be a pressure cooker. Don't go on mute. But take time to regularly bring it to God. And actually name the anger in your life and speak the forgiveness out. Don't bear grudges and distinctly decide to forget that issue and give it to Christ and his blood. But often what we're not very good at, we're not very good at verbalizing it. And often I spend time with people in my own office and they come with me with so many issues to do with family members, to do with ex-husbands or ex-wives, to do with situations. I once sat with a a gentleman and we went through a series of business partners, of ex-wives and and, and relationships. He'd come to Christ here at Willow Park Church and had been through the most difficult life. And there we... 
and he was so full of anger, although believed in Jesus. And as we confessed, and as he spoke those words, I prayed freedom and forgiveness for him. We confessed. We went through all the ex-wives, and there were a nice few of them. We went through all of his ex-business partners, and there were a lot of them. And he had good reason to feel the way he did in some of the places. He's now in his 70s, and he prays with me, and he looks up at me and goes, You don't believe what that's done for me. I am free. See, it may even help you to make a list, get on your knees in your bedroom, go through all those names and declare that you release them, you forgive them and you hand over your anger to the power of Christ. Secondly, which is linked to this, is talk it through, confess it, and receive God's freedom. That's all that encounter God's about that we run here. But I do this all the time with everybody. Even in England, I prayed with a lady, and um, she came forward with her husband, and as they were standing there, we were praying, and she just felt worthless, useless, of no value. And I asked her, what is the root? And... And God took her back to when she was an 11-year-old girl in a classroom and, and, and how she felt humiliated by a teacher and that had burnt in her heart and it created a resentment and an anger and she confessed it. And then she went forward years later and now she's a qualified elementary teacher and she's doing brilliantly. Everything's wonderful. But then government cuts, austerity, they take away her job, they lay her off and she feels worthless and useless. But right there, she feels angry against the government, angry against the head, angry against the school. But right there, she confesses her anger in front of me and we pray for freedom and she's a different woman. And you know what? She can get on with her life. So stop it and get on with your life. Because life's a gift. And you are created in God's image. And you are special. And when you let anger twist you, it robs you of joy. Thirdly, find a way of love. Keep loving those people. Ask the Lord to give it to you. And fourthly, ask God to speak to you about how you can move forward. Because sometimes you don't have the answer. Sometimes you don't know how to deal with your anger. Sometimes you're not sure. And the best place to come to, like Cain, God says to him, what's wrong with you? Why are you acting like this? Just do what is right. In fact, I sense in the scripture, God would have told him what was right. Well, he knew what was right. He had to bring an offering of blood, not an offering of vegetable soup. It was as simple as that. Don't bring me corn and alfalfa. Bring me a proper offering. He would have had it. He could have traded it. You see, Cain's problem was he was only willing to bring what he was willing to God. He was not willing to bring what God wanted and desired. But rather than leaning into God, he leant into his anger. The way of success for your life is this. Give the offering and give your life and give it 
in the way that God wants you to give it, not the way that you'd like to give it, the way God wants. So listen to his voice. Ask him to speak to you and ask him and be willing to deal with this anger. And really, the road of anger leads eventually to murder. And Jesus linked the two and said, when you curse a brother or sister and call them raka, foolish, of no value, it's like you're murdering them. Have you seen people? Have you met people? That have been murdered by words. They've lost their self-confidence. They've lost their strength. They've lost their belief in themselves. Because they've been repeatedly murdered by words. I've met them. And it's a sad sight. All confidence. All life. All strength has been lost. Because the words have struck. And death by a thousand cuts. But Christ comes in healing power. And you and I can be free. Let's pray. Let's stand together. Lord, I pray that even as we gather at this moment, there may be those of us that don't know the forgiving power of Christ in our lives. And friends, in a moment, I'll give you a chance at the end of this service to give your life to Jesus. But Lord, I pray that as we finish and as we worship, Lord, that you will speak to us. We thank you for the glory of life. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of life at the beginning, at the end. We thank you for the priceless wonder and beauty of it. But Lord, I pray right the way across this congregation now that where we need to get rid of anger, Lord, you will free us now from that pain and that anger. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen.